So today we're starting a series called um, The Parables of the Kingdom um, that explores those familiar, strange, sometimes mystifying sayings and stories of Christ that fill the gospel narratives. Um, I'm really excited about this series for a number of reasons. I uh, think first that, like many of us here, a big part of my faith has been interwoven with story. There are true things that sometimes I try and express or articulate, um, but cannot, right, for whatever reason. And then, all of a sudden, I encounter them with deep pleasure in a story. There, on the page, or on a screen, or read aloud, I experience that moment of deep recognition, where you say, yeah, that's it, that's true. Those moments of clarity can occur in story, and not just, I should say, not impressive, serious stories only, right? It's not just when I'm reading Tolstoy or something. Uh, it might be in really simple narratives, children's stories. Um, I think story is beautifully democratic, right? At any level of comprehension and understanding, they can speak truth to us. And parables are like this. Uh, my second reason for excitement about looking at parables is kind of the opposite of this in some ways, because sometimes what Jesus says is profoundly not simple and not clear. And in those moments, my enthusiasm as a, a kind of a scriptural detective grows, right? What might we uncover if we pay close attention to what Jesus said and the ways that he chooses to say it? What might we learn about his priorities and the kingdom that he so often preaches about? So if I was going to justify it to our little community of like, why are we doing this? Um, I think I would point to these two points, right? Number one, it is good to spend time in story. Um, we open ourselves up to the possibility of learning new ways of speaking about God and about his purposes. And we also remind ourselves that our whole world is made up of story, right? Full of compelling, beautiful, challenging stories that witness to God's goodness and his reality. And that is true of our lives as well. And it's also good to spend time wrestling with things, uh, with parables, because they tell us something about the person who is speaking. Uh, and they tell us something about the kingdom that he is announcing. And they keep speaking to us about our world, about our hearts, and the person that we call or sing king of both of those things. Now, importantly, and I want to say this from the start, and maybe I'm saying this and then other people who preach will disagree, but I don't think that this series is about having the final say about what parables mean. But instead, it is thinking about the truths that they point towards, or maybe even the person that they direct us to follow. Our hope in immersing ourselves in these parables is ultimately to learn to live and love like Christ and to see how each of our lives might reflect the radical and generous hope of his kingdom. You know, these parables, if anything, are full of Jesus. They are one of his favorite ways of speaking, particularly about the kingdom. And as we listen, um, I, my hope and hopefully our hope and prayer is that we will be Attentive not to just what they mean, but what they reveal to us about the storyteller. Okay, so parables. Um, yeah. One thing you might have noticed if you're a keen bean and you've gone through the schedule for the sermons um, is that some of the parables that we're looking at are not very obvious choices. In fact, you might be hard-pressed to call them parables at all. So we have one about the mustard seed, 
Um, it's barely a line long, right? And the one about the yeast um, is, again, short. I know, shouldn't, shouldn't linger with a pause on yeast. Um, I'll cut that out of the podcast. It's important at the outset, I think, to define what I mean by this, what our terms are. And you should know that what I'm sharing now is not something that I just know. I learned this while I was researching for the sermon. Um, the term parable in the Bible actually possesses a very broad range of meanings. As I've got here, it can refer to a three-word proverb. For instance, physician, heal yourself. Or to a lengthy story parable, uh, such as the prodigal son. The word parable, or, par- or parabola in Greek, is at, at the core of it means something like comparison, right? And very often it's um, of two unlike things. So I have those images there, which hopefully are self-explanatory, right? Am I standing in front of them for people over here? Okay. Where's a good spot? This way? That's better? Okay. And for those playing at home, I just moved, which is not as interesting now that I say it out loud. <laughs> Um, Okay, so the comparison can be short, it can be story length, it can be expressed in a whole array of language. It might be a single simile, right? The kingdom of God is like. Um, It might be a riddle or a story or a proverb or an allegory, among other things. In the simplest terms, a parable involves a comparison putting one thing beside another to make a point. So this first image that I have here, when Jesus calls the kingdom of God a mustard seed, that comparison is meant to be shocking. Something that is so small and fragile is transferred onto something hoped for and eternal. Yet Christ completes the parable by reminding us, his listeners, that its smallness is only temporary, right? And that the kingdom will grow large and firmly rooted. When Jesus asks us to imagine a lamp under a bowl, we see that absurdity as well of having light only to hide it. So as we spend time looking at the parables of the kingdom, my hope is that we will come to notice that when Jesus uses these comparisons, this way of speaking, it tends to be pretty radical. The stories and sayings often involve confronting comparisons. In his beautiful book, The Parables of the Kingdom, which kind of inspired this series a little bit. Um, This is the next slide, Freya. Um, This is Robert Farah Capon, which is kind of a desert island book, if anyone has read this. Um, This is just one of those books that's full, right? Uh, He says this, The parables set forth comparisons that tend to make mincemeat of people's religious expectations. Bad people are rewarded, like the publican, the prodigal, the unjust steward. Good people are scolded, the Pharisee, the elder brother, the diligent workers. God's response to prayer is likened to a man getting rid of a nuisance, the Fred at midnight. And in general, everybody's idea of who ought to be first or last is liberally doused with cold water. The wedding feast, the great judgment, Lazarus and dives, which is the word for a rich man, and the narrow door. All right. So that's the first. So parables, the word itself. Um, Now to listening. Beyond the insistence of making bold and stunning comparisons, the parables of Jesus are also fundamentally about paying attention, right? The number of times we're told to listen. 
Again, this is from Capon, and he gives us, I think, good advice about listening to the parables. A close examination of Jesus' parables may well be the best way we have of ensuring that we will be listening to what he himself has to say instead of what we are prepared to hear. With Jesus speaking in parables is not used to explain things to people's satisfaction, but to call attention to the unsatisfactoriness of all their previous explanations and understandings. I really love, I love that. So often we learn in scripture, people listened for what they wanted to hear, right? Rather than what God maybe was asking them to do. I, I was thinking about this. This is really our predicament today, right? Um, if the Attorney General of the United States can refer to Romans 13 to justify the forcible removal of children from their parents, which is the same scripture that we use to justify slavery, um, I think we're in a moment in history when we, uh, where what we want to hear clearly overrides what Jesus' life and ministry tells us about, for instance, our obligations to the stranger. Obsessing over the possible meanings of language in scripture has often helped Christians avoid doing anything about what it says. Um, there's this book called What Did Jesus Mean, um, which I've quoted from here. And the writer says, Jesus' fellowship with sinners, in appropriately in quotation marks, right, matched his teaching on not judging people and not dividing them into good and bad. And his prayer for his own executioners matched his teaching on not wanting bad things to happen to anyone and wanting God to do good things for all people. Jesus' ethical teaching offers signposts. If you live like this, you can always live with God. And Jesus' own life offers a model. If you live like this, you can always live with God. See, the parables were about addressing the question of how to live, but they were also drawing our attention to the storyteller himself and how he lived. Again and again, Jesus boils down the law and the prophets to what? Love God and love others. And so the language of the parables is, yes, perplexing, strange, full of striking comparisons, in part because they are less about telling us what we need to know than they are about revealing to us our own unwillingness to really listen, to see and hear. This is um, from a famous scripture in Matthew 13, which leads off um, a big section of parables. The disciples came to him and asked, and asked, why do you speak to people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. 
For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. If I could say one thing, I would say that the parables don't obscure truth. But they obscure the expected or the presumed. If you mention Messiah, we might picture a king, right? On a horseback. Not a carpenter on a cross. If you mentioned forgiveness, well, we're ready to set up rules about when it runs out. If you mention reward, we think, okay, it's got to be fairly distributed and it's got to be related to how good or bad we are. We don't think about extravagant grace. If you mention kingdom, we might imagine a conquering king rather than a sacrificial savior. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear, Jesus says. So who hears? Who sees? I think part of the answer to that is those who recognize that they are weary and heavy laden. The poor, the outcast, the stranger, those who know that they are lost without God, willing participants in an upside down kingdom where the measure isn't getting what we deserve, but receiving and then extending undeserved grace. See, this is why the parables are about listening, because it leads us to the person who is speaking and his priorities for the world. Jesus tells stories that can only be heard and understood when the community that hears them is prepared to be marked by a compassion that manifests itself in gracious forgiveness and love. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if what? You love one another. Okay, so what, what kind of kingdom then? So the parables are full of, as we've said, the language of radical comparisons. <laughs> they reveal to us Jesus' revolutionizing of the right order of things. The last of first, the meek inherit the earth. They also call us to listen, to take account of the parable teller, to be the kinds of people who do see and hear, who are ready to see and hear. So I was thinking, all right, well, what does this look like in our lives? You know, what is this? What's the practical vision of this? And of course, the rest of this series is going to be about that when we look at individual parables. But I, uh, I remembered um, that parable that Christ tells when he's invited for a Sabbath dinner at the Pharisee's house, if you know this one. Um, and I probably remembered it because I preached another sermon on it and it just came to my mind. Um, but in it, there's this moment where Jesus sits down with the Pharisees and their friends and he notices that they're all scrambling to get the best seat at the table. Do you know the story? And Jesus says, you better humble yourself. And then he recommends to the host a whole different set of possible dinner guests. He says it would have been preferable to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. So just in this one instance, what does this kind of parable teach us about welcoming the outcast? 
and graciously sharing our abundance with them. Who are the ones who we don't want to invite into our churches because they threaten our idea of what this community ought to look like? Who are the ones whom we don't want to share our wealth with because we don't think they deserve it? Who are the ones whom Jesus is calling us to invite to the communion table, the ones that we would not want to sit with? Who are the ones whom we are sure do not deserve to share our abundance because they cannot pay anything, right? They're, they're too ill, they're too homeless, they're too entrenched in welfare. What did Jesus' parables have to say about our social attitudes, our ways of being in the world? My sense is that the parables of Jesus do more than just suggest a few ways to alter your behavior, right? Change this. Jesus' parables fundamentally reorder and reshape reality. They create an alternate world for Jesus' hearers that presents a challenge to another prevailing worldview. You've, you've heard it said, but I say this. In telling these parables, Jesus is creating a new world for those who would hear. The world of the new kingdom that he is inaugurating. As he invites us to enter into the stories of his parables, he's inviting us to enter into that world and join him in a new vision. So the question is then, well, what do we do, right? How do we respond? Um, where do we fit in the story? How does it become ours? Uh, I was thinking one thing is really clear about all this, right? Uh, which is that if we actually call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're definitely at the top of the list by people who should be challenged by parables. Um, in our daily lives, what does Jesus' message proclaim? How do these parables invite us to live in a radical kingdom? In my work, in my family, in my community, in my school, in my church? Do I practice God's gracious forgiveness? I think, um, and I don't know who I'm speaking to about this, there is a danger of community um, where we have surrogate disciples um, around us, people who kind of stand in for our obligation to love. Um, but there's also something beautiful about community as well, which is that we have a whole lot of ways that we can love if we're just attentive to it. And there is a beautiful grace that overlays both of these things, which is that one thing that we do as H3O is strive to edify and encourage and lift one another up as we try and overcome the stumbling blocks of looking more like Christ. That is what we should yearn to see and to hear. Not just see and hear more of Christ, but see and hear more of Christ in one another and call it out. The world that we are going to encounter in these parables is one in which all people, particularly the last and the least and the lost and the stranger, are guests at the banquet, where a despised enemy becomes a compassionate neighbour, where undeserved grace wins out over self-righteousness, where wealth is a trap and generosity is the order of the day. This is the kingdom that Jesus invites us into in these parables. And the question has to be, are we daring enough to enter it? Or as we uh, prayed in the Our Father series, are we bold enough to say? I think in the end, what these parables mean for us today has everything to do with something that Jesus said 
um, and you'll probably remember this, to one of those people who heard but maybe didn't hear. He says from this passage here, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Or the one who showed him mercy, replied the expert in the law. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And I should say we don't do it alone, right? This isn't like a now go and be the best version of yourself kind of thing. Um, we meet together. This is the point of church. We are co-conspirators in this kingdom. We're forgiven sons and daughters. And we have been asking that God's kingdom would come and asking that God's will would be done. And Christ says we'll go and do likewise. Go and do it together. In our daily living, let us learn the abundant love and grace of God that's revealed to us in Christ and then go and do likewise. So that is what, hopefully, this series is going to be about. And I was thinking, just for the last five minutes, um, if this is possible, to take a, a moment to speak with people who are near you. Um, I, was, I was talking to, actually, to Jamie about this and realising that one of the things we do rarely, if ever is call out and identify the ways that we are already going and doing likewise, right? Because often it looks like, well, are you doing a certain kind of godly work? And we can see that that's real and that's kingdom, but then we don't necessarily see when people do kingdom work in their families or people do kingdom work in their jobs or people call in the kingdom in relationships with people who are unlovely. Um, and so if we might... I'd love for us to take uh, a few minutes just to encourage one another and to ask, you know, in what ways do you see yourself already striving to be a person who calls, um, who, who goes and does likewise in your, in your actual life, in your real life, not in a kind of like ideal sense, but in what you actually do? Um, that's the first question. What do you already do? And then the second question, which is the obvious one, is how can I pray for you in that? Um, so is that all right if we take a few minutes and then that will kind of end our service and maybe what I'll do is I'll take a few minutes and I'll jump up and just sort of close the prayer off for all of us. Does that, is that clear for everyone? Okay, cool. Well, let's, let's take a few minutes now. Okay. Um, I'm just going to very quickly wrap up. My suspicion is that we get more interested in the conversations than we do in the prayer. That's what happened in our group. But I would love to just um, dedicate this time and conversation to God, I will be very rapid and then keep having precisely what you are already having. Um, yep, so God, we thank you that we do not do any of this alone, um, that we come and we meet together in community, um, not to cast judgment on one another when we fail, but actually to remind each other that we are children of God who are covered by his grace. Um, but God, we ask that that would not just finish here, um, but that we would be people who extend that same grace and generous love to um, all people. And, and God, thank you for the parables and for this deep resource that we have as people of faith to, to, to plunge into who you are um, and to see your heart for this world and, and for the way that we can be transforming agents. So God, we pray that you would just um, yeah, fill us with joy at the undeserved grace that we have inherited and also call us to be people who live and love like Christ. Um, and be with us in our, our conversations in the daily version of this, not just in the big stuff, but in the ways that we go and do likewise every day. We thank you and we praise you, and it's for you that we do this, and it's in you that we have the power to do it, and it's 
um, for you that we, uh, yeah, that we love. So thank you, God, and um, go before us this week. Amen. Amen.